Ernest, what's up? Y'all know I'm big on doing your research, sharing your research, and giving credit to where you found the research. But I always get asked the same question. Where do I start with the research? And the answer is easy. It's our sponsor, Yahoo Finance. Whether I'm tracking the daily movement of my favorite companies, doing technical analysis with their easy-to-use charting platform, or checking balance sheets, Yahoo Finance makes something very complex simplified. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or you're looking for extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. You could actually securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including your 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors. And it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. With a community of over 90 million users each month, their real strength is helping you on your way to financial success. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com. The number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. You heard me, yahoofinance.com. Don't wait, don't hesitate. I use it. You should go over there and start using it now. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors, and add blocks. No custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. But like, I look at life insurance as a defense mechanism to keep the government from trying to keep violence in our hood because once the money's messed with on everything they're gonna have to find a way to to slow it down like when people boycott a company and they like oh they lost this amount of money they're gonna try to come out they're gonna come out and say yo we want to change this or that if every life insurance company which wall street is all behind because they're invested in those companies it's messing up all the other business models just to be a trickle down effect it's messing up annuity payouts it's messing up people pension funds it's messing up everything and if the money's involved and that that's what will genuinely end violence my graduates from my school being forbes backdrop backdrop <laughs> mic drop backdrop backdrop All right, guys, welcome back. Yeah. EYL, back home. Um, this is going to be a fun conversation, something that I've been looking forward to for a while. So, Ross Mack, our yeah. guy, you might have oh seen God. him on Netflix. You might have seen him on social media. 
You might have seen him on his podcast that he has another one of our other friends, um, Brandon Copeland. Yes, alumni. Yeah, Revolt. He had a show on Revolt. He's all over the place. You're a Revolt fan. Hey, Revolt fan, let's get it. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I guess the best way, how, how should I describe you? As a financial a, a flinsoer? That's what they, they named a financial influencer. That, I, I, you just enlightened me. Say it again. Finfluencer. Finfluencer. Okay. Influencer. Okay, okay, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Fluencer. Um, a fluencer. Yeah. Is that is that how you would like to be described? Um, I, I could take that. I ain't mad at you know financial expert. Financial expert. I ain't mad at financial advocate. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, Any of the above. Yeah, we can keep going. I give you a couple more adjectives. <laughs> So he used to work on Wall Street, from Chicago mm -hmm. originally, worked on Wall Street. And um, how long were you at Wall Street? So call it roughly five years, okay. a little over five years. And then you moved back to Chicago. Yep. And then you got in media. And yeah. now, you, now you do content, you're in the media, you got shows, different things of that nature. So first and foremost, thank you for joining us. Appreciate it. Man, yeah, thank y'all for having welcome, me, man. Y'all already know. It's, we've been, it's we've been around each other for a few, a few occasions, man. So yeah, it's good yeah. to have you here. Man, appreciate y'all having me. Love everything y'all doing. More importantly, I'm happy to be here and continue to make history with y'all. Right. Sure. So let's let's get into it. All right. So walk us through your journey from mm -hmm. Chicago to Wall Street. Why did you leave Wall Street? How'd you end up on Wall Street? Like, bring yeah. us from from that time, from like, I guess college to where you are now. Yeah, man. So South Side of Chicago. From there, one of the things I was really, you know happy and proud of was being able to go to an Ivy League from the South Side, right? Where'd you go to? <clears throat> I went to Warden School uh, in the University of Pennsylvania. That's like, oh, okay. the, that's like the best business school in the, in the world. You didn't just go to any school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's so, for, for undergrad? For, for undergrad. Okay. For undergrad. Right. So, uh, so it's harder to get in undergrad than it is grad. You know I mean, we keep it at that. <laughs> but no, so literally from South Shore, which right now is probably one of the worst neighborhoods in Chicago in terms of, you know, violence and stuff like that. Coming from there, I went to Whitney Young, actually, for high school, so that's where Michelle Obama went to. Yeah. And from there, went to Wharton. Too, right? You say what? Jaleel Okafor? Yeah, 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 <laughs> we, he, he, you know, he all right. Uh, he, he all right, but hey, he made it, he, he did, did so it. I ain't mad at him. Um, and then, so I was at Wharton, but the best, the craziest thing was at Wharton, it was like, it's a legit culture shock, right? Coming from the South Side, I was talking crazy still, and I'm in class, freshman year, I remember being in class with kids that's day trading in the middle of class. This mm -hmm. 2008, and I ain't never, I've never seen nothing like that, bro. I'm literally on a laptop that I got from being in the Chicago Urban League, a two, three hundred dollar Acer computer. You feel me? Like I know that <laughs> Acer. Some public schools, you know that. Hey, so I, I, I swear to God, I remember like yesterday. So I'm in class and I see a guy who's literally day trading. I'm bro, what are you doing, dog? You know what I mean? And it's a culture shock because one, it's only five percent black. It's five or six percent black, right? But two, you in there with you know a lot of these one percent kids, right? Their parents are doing real wealthy, um, and being there, I was like, all right, I'm about to start learning how to invest right there. And so I remember leaving that class, and I'm like, yo, I'm about to open up an account. I remember I talked to my E-Trade, I'm sorry, my econ professor, and I'm like, yo, I want to start investing. She's like, okay, use E-Trade, et cetera, et cetera. But the crazy thing about being at Wharton is like, you was just always going to be in the right place at the right time because I stumbled across, like you say, how did I get on Wall Street? I stumbled across an internship. Um, I felt like me and the homie, um, we was just going through Huntsman, that's like the warden building, and they were doing recruiting there. And Morgan Stanley had a freshman program. And I just walked up. It was a, uh, I remember she was a Nigerian woman, and my dad used to live in Nigeria, so I know how to say a few things, right? And I said something to her, 
And she was like, oh, yada, yada, you should apply for this program. It was called the Richard B. Fisher program. And from there, literally that summer, I never looked back. I worked at Morgan Stanley that summer. The next time I worked at Barclays, then I went back to Morgan Stanley where I ended up getting a full-time uh, job offer. So my senior year, I was just able to wild out because I already had a job. Um, but the crazy thing was like the different seats that I was able to intern at, right? I, I did sales and trading at Barclays. I was in global capital markets my first year at Morgan Stanley. And then my last year, I was able to be um, commercial paper, which is just short-term trading, which literally that business was in the process of dying when you really look at, you know, how low rates were at that time. So it was really hard. It's like money market? Yeah. Mm. So commercial paper, repo market, where businesses are really just getting financing for day-to-day -day operations. And I was on that desk. So like, put it like this, you're on a 10-week internship. I'm on that desk for like eight weeks. One week of training, eight weeks there. And then they come tap me on the shoulder like, man, they ain't got no head count, meaning they're not going to be able to hire you on, you on this desk. So you got to rotate to a different desk. And then I remember I talked to one of my mentors. They was like, yo, you could do rates trading, muni sales, or high yield. And I'm like, bro, I don't really know either one. So I go shadow, but my big homie like, bro, go to high yield. That's where the money at. Because mm. high yield is, you know, junk bonds, distress, leverage loans. And uh, I spent one week on there. I had a big presentation and I got the job. Um, I remember I had to pitch some serious XM bonds. Shout out my dog, John and Wallow. We sat there. I, the first time I ever pulled an all-nighter, because at school, G, I would go to sleep like, bro, I'm never doing pulling an all-nighter for no homework. It, if I don't got it, it is what it is. Mm -hmm. But I pulled an all-nighter for the first time for a presentation on, like, I had to pitch why they should buy these bonds. Um, and fast forward. So I ended up working on Wall Street. And the crazy thing about Wall Street is, don't nobody look like us, right? Um, in actual fact, in 2012, when I got on the desk full-time at Morgan Stanley, high-yield sales and trading, I was the first black person ever on that desk. And on the entire trading floor is like three black people, like not including, you know, um, people that might be cleaning up or admins and stuff like that. It was like three black people, right? One sales guy in IG, one other guy in, um, um, what was he in? SPG, Structure Products. Um, and so from there, man, it was like, okay, now let me continue to learn. Um, I spent three years at Morgan Stanley, and I will say the best and the worst thing, because when you think about what Wall Street is, you think of the movies, like, oh, everybody yelling, who off a bam, they running with tickers, you know, tickets and stuff for orders. It wasn't like that because everything was digital. People picking up the phone, they ordering, uh, making their orders over Bloomberg, et cetera. But um, the one thing they wouldn't do, they wouldn't let me get on the actual trading desk without doing one year of actual research. So um, I had to do research. I covered retail companies, tobacco and home builders so them three sectors but the worst part is like bro you literally working 6 30 to 6 30 but it ain't no ain't no fun in it because like the fun is everybody you talking on the phone with pimco fidelity blackrock vanguard etc but i'm sitting there at, on the computer cracking models out right looking at toys r us looking at jc penny and it was a great time to be there but i i if i if i know what i knew now right if i knew what i know now it's like man i would have took it even more serious but the great thing was i had to literally understand all the fundamentals of a company so literally reading 10ks and 10qs every quarter of okay what's going on in the home builder space okay what's going on in the tobacco space what's going on in the retails because at that time 2012 2013 you get big companies that are, you know, um, 
or you know, you got Walmart and Target taking a lot of market share, and then you got Walmart. I mean, I'm sorry, and then you got Amazon taking market share. But the crazy thing is, I'm watching Chasey Penny getting ready to go bankrupt, Radio Shack getting ready to go bankrupt, Toys R Us getting ready to go bankrupt, and I think that's some of the the best experience I had because I'm doing you know what is called a waterfall analysis, where you literally just breaking the company down just stripping it down saying okay what part of Sears another company Sears what's this part of Sears business worth what's this part of Sears business worth and you doing it based on like all the other competitors in that industry to then say okay this is how much this company's worth and so you know fast forward to today it's like I look at that experience as something that I say made me into a better investor because it helped me say okay I could look at a company and then I could just strip it bare bones and really x-ray it and say okay this is how you really look at this company and where it's going to be five ten years from now once you got that information this is a, that's a lot man so when you when you got the information right as you're doing this analysis you're breaking down you're doing models what happens next you pass that on to uh, who to give them the information perfect so the way we so the way you know most trading desks works and the reason stocks be moving so quick when you have earnings or new information and stuff is because everybody has their model of what this company is worth. Mm -hmm. And so the moment you find the new information, what revenue was, what EBITDA was, what their cogs were, cost of goods sold, everything you're thinking about, the moment those numbers come out, people plug it into a model instantly. Mm -hmm. And then you get a new uh, a new valuation of what the company is worth. That's why stocks be trading, you know, rapidly like that. And it's because everybody has their own model based on it. And so when we were, you know, so anytime a company would report earnings, I'm going through the earnings report, I'm highlighting stuff, I'm putting it in the models, and then I would literally go print out the model, run it over to the person that's trading that. So if, if this guy was to be, so I covered both investment grade and high yield, right? And so at that time, the moment, call it, um, J.C. Penny, for instance, reported. I'm literally saying, and bonds is so different than just stocks because you got to think about a lot of other stuff because it's different covenants. Meaning, like, in the event that they don't have enough money, enough cash, enough coverage, like these bonds could tech be in technical default. Mm -hmm. And so, like, those are the things that you know. The moment they will report, I'll fill out the models, I print it out, and I run it over. Um, I'm 22. I'm thinking I'm yeah. doing something. He like, bro, I right. like I'm yo. Um, the sales is this, this is that. You know, this increased three percent year over year. Same store sales was two percent quarter over quarter. He like for sure. And and I'm like, bro. So in my mind, I'm like, gee, did I not just do something good? But it's like it was a machine. Like no matter what's going on. I was going to always just be a number like they were going to be able to replace me like, you know, the analyst program, the associate program and people coming in and out. But what I will say is that that gave me the most transferable skill set when it comes to this investing stuff. Yeah, I'm always interested when you look at an earnings report, because I mean, that's something that we talk about on Market Mondays are those earnings reports. And a lot of people like to trade off of them or trade around them when you were highlighting. What are the what are the things were you looking at at that age when you saw the earnings report? Yeah. So. As I'm watching the earnings report, at one point I might be also listening to the earnings call. So I'm thinking of what they're forecasting. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking what, and ev <clears throat> so everything's relative. And when you're looking at earnings, any company is relative of what they did year over year. So if it's Q3 in 2022, you're looking at Q3 of 2021, right? And I'm sure y'all already know that, but like those are the things I'm looking at. So I'm looking, did sales, you know, go higher or lower? Mm -hmm. I'm looking at was EBITDA, right? They earnings higher or lower. I'm looking at same store sales, which is just like those, you know, the replica, like the stores themselves, they had the same amount of foot traffic. Mm -hmm. But also the most important thing is you looking at forecasts. And I think a lot of people understand that when you're looking at, because 
the management team is getting on those earnings call to say, yo, we had a good quarter and this is what we think from the opportunity set moving forward. And so like right now, when you see earnings season right now and you like, yo, they just beat, you know, on top and bottom line, but right here go the butt. But we we are you know lowering our forecast for Q four. That future guidance. That future guidance it, it it'll mess you up like especially if you're trying to play you know earnings buying some calls into it like okay we beat both top line and bottom line but the the four guidance is equally as important if not more important. Yeah. So talk about um, what's the most important thing that, to look for in looking at a company or stock. I mean, and so I, anytime you analyzing a company, I look at it the same way. The same way Steph Curry shoot the same free throws. It's like building a repetition, right? And it's like, I always say, start out with a holistic view, right? Holistic view, do I like the management team? Do I like how they are putting this company in the right path? But then I'm like, what's the opportunity set of this sector, right? If we're talking about retail companies at the time, right, 2012, or even now for that matter, we understand, because at that time, not only was they losing out, but they had price match. So like, you could literally go to J, um, you could go to JCPenney or Target or whatever, and you'd be like, yo, you pull up on your phone, your Walmart got this same TV for $100 less. They got to match it, right? Price match started coming out at that. And so you're looking at holistic view, management team, opportunity set. Is this business, is it cyclical? Is it declining or is it expanding, right? So if we talk about, you know, electric vehicles, that business is growing, right? It's a big opportunity set and we still haven't reached this full potential. Mm -hmm. So my holistic view is like, is this company, or one, is this in a sector that's growing or declining? And then is this company, does they, how much market share do they have? And do they have the ability to get more? Or do they have the ability, or I'm sorry, or is it other companies that are actually uh, coming in and taking market share? So if you look at Apple versus uh, BlackBerry, back, I remember the ticker, I think BlackBerry was like Rim or something. Yeah. And if that's the case, you're looking like, man, Rim, they can't compete, right? At the one time, BlackBerry had, you know, they had a, uh, uh, the type of software that you couldn't crack. So that was the thing all Wall Street people had, they Blackberries, but then Apple ended up getting the same thing. They took all their market share. So you looking and saying, does this company have that moat? I know, shout out Ian, he say moat a lot. All right with that. Do, does this have a moat? But also, you know, you're saying, is their business growing? Is their profitability growing? Is there more opportunity set, right? What are they saying in terms of future guidance? Are they able, is their business, you know, what's the margins on their products, right? You look at Apple. One thing they make a lot of money on is their accessories, right? Okay, phone is one thing, but then it's accessories. So I always take a holistic view. Also say who owns the stock, right? I'll go on Yahoo Finance and look at the holders because it's important to know if people smarter than you who have a dedicated research team that are following this day in and day out. Like we don't have the ability to call the CFO of Apple, but you know, Berkshire does. Vanguard does, Fidelity does. So I always look to see who those top 10 holders are. That always gives me an understanding too if people are smarter than us. Then you're looking at the charts, right? So I always start off fundamentals before I get into the technicals. Fundamentals is everything like, everything we was just talking about, but the technicals is, you know, where's the price trading? So like fundamentals are saying why I should buy this company, right? Once again, opportunity set is growing. Technicals is like, and Ian, shout out Ian, he always say like, it's it's a you know you can buy the right company but just at the wrong time so the technical is gonna say yo you know RSI is here you know it, it, it RSI is under thirty now might be a good time to buy it and I think um, so I think anybody that's trying to say you know to develop their repeti repetition it's the same way like you shot free throws different than you would shoot free throws right you might dribble three times spin the ball but you know like your end goal and I think that's the same thing when it comes to picking a company right it's like okay 
opportunity set, holistic view. Is this company growing? Also, are they sales growing? Is there profitability? Are they able to maintain margins? Because a lot of businesses are getting pressured into margins, especially in that retail space, because for the most part, Amazon had no overhead where Toys R Us and JCPenney got none but overhead. You're looking at how much their rent is, right? And so I, I kind of look at it that way. So when, when you were, obviously when you started, you didn't even know, like when you got to Wharton, you said that you saw somebody day trading. Mm -hmm. Obviously you start working on Wall Street. How fast is the learning curve, right? Because if you you don't learn pretty quickly, you're going to get left behind in that space, I'm pretty sure. Boy. <laughs> Boy. So what was that like? Learning curve, crazy. Once again, at the time, I was trying to live life like TV, bro. I'm trying to get on the phone and talk to Vanguard. I don't like, I'm, cause I'm, but I needed to know that. And so what I would say the learning curve was very hard because you had to, it's almost like if you're taking the SAT and you're doing the reading part, like if you, I, I was talking to somebody the other day and they was like, yo, I teach kids how to do good on the ACT or SAT or whatever. He's like, yo, I'm gonna read the first and the last paragraphs and skim the middle, right? And I say that to say, like, when you talk about the learning curve, when you're looking at that, earnings report right just they 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 publish an earnings report then they'll put out the 10q and, and 10k annually right but the earnings report it might be 10 12 pages you got to know what to look for quick as well and so that was the biggest thing on a learning on a on a learning curve because it's like what am i looking for mm. and then it's like okay what are the numbers that you know because this is a like the models are leaving i look at it like a living breathing organism because once you plug it in it's going to spit out something else that's saying these bonds is worth this this stock is worth that and so um the learning curve was hard and you're sitting there right in bro wall street is one of them things where it's a blessing to be on there but it's you know it's it's very subjective right like only black person in there you know what i mean if i come around you know make a joke or something or smiling too much Shorty too cocky. He need to tone it down. So, you know, I, the, the biggest learning curve was culturally over the actual academia part of it. The academia, I felt as though coming from war and I can grasp anything. The biggest learning curve was learning how to act. Right. Like I got pulled aside. Um, I got pulled aside. And anybody that's working on Wall Street, bro, they understand what I'm talking about. It's a way you got to carry yourself. and It's a way to dress, right? At one point they told me I was too flashy because I got a Ferragamo tie on, right? They telling me I got too much swag because I walk different. So when I, a person pulled me aside, bro, you gotta walk like you in a hurry. I'm like, gee, what the hell does that mean, bro? Like, you know what I mean? Like, walk like you in a hurry, walk with your head down, keep acting like, cause it's all perception, bro. Perception, reality, and, and when you come from a Ivy League as a black dude, they already think, you know, kid think he cocky. And I was swagged out. I ain't gonna hold you, but at the same time, they was hold. They was trying to hold me in the sense of like, he was too cocky, right? He, you know, he and oh, he's not doing the grunt work. And so the biggest thing was the cultural part of being in a different. It's a fraternity, right? These guys all play lacrosse, country club, living Connecticut. You feel me, like Road Westchester and all that. Yeah, row. And they wasn't, it wasn't no people playing basketball on them desks for the most part, right? It was lacrosse, row. You feel me? Field hockey, all that stuff. And it's a different culture, uh, different country club, right? They got their vests on, um, the, the vineyard vine vests and all that. The, you know what I mean? So that the, the academia part, it was hard at first, but you understand that because if you know how to study, you can get that. But the cultural thing was one that was very difficult. And I remember I was sitting at a dinner table with you not that long ago. And we was talking about, you know, a potential client. And this is how we coming, right? I'm raw right now. Either you like it or you don't. But when you, when I was 22 at the time, it was one of them, like I had to get down or lay down or I had to really conform to that life. So why'd you leave? So I ended up, so 
when I left Morgan Stanley, I ended up getting a better job at a hedge fund uh, where I was able to move back to my hometown, Chicago. And the reason I left was, um, you know, I just wanted more, right? So at the same time, you know, I was making music, right? I make music. I'm uh, I'm nice, right? I need you to have my vinyl back here <laughs> one of these days. Uh, oh, God. I'm auntie kids. We need that. But um, so one thing, I'm going to work. I hear my music on the radio. Uh, so I'm already feeling that. But one thing about moving back to Chicago is, and I think y'all look at y'all are the test, right? Is when you going and you trying to do something, you got laser focus. You got your your horse blinders on, and as a result, I really wasn't that in tune with the community as much as I could have. Right, working at Morgan Stanley, sure I did some community service, but like the people that I grew up with, I wasn't in tune with them. But me going back to Chicago, I really got to realize, like, yo, when you look at the wealth gap and the information gap, it really boils down to the exposure gap. So what you exposed to, right? So being at Morgan Stanley, I'm walking by, I see a MD on the desk, right? A managing director on the desk, checking a retirement account, checking a 401k. Yeah, two, three million in there, right? Most people that look like us don't even got 401ks or retirement plans in general, right? They hoping social security still, right? And so once I started understanding that and looking at other people, oh, I got an LLC for this. Oh, this is the type of accounts I have for my kids. I realized one of my, one of my best friends at the crib, he like, bro, you ain't really my friend, bro, if you ain't teaching me how to get a bag. So that's what made me say, yo, I want to start making content. Um, so that's when I developed Maconomics, which, you know, very similar to what y'all do is making learning about finance cool, making it more digestible so the average person can understand it. Because when you take a full step back, it's like, you know, they think this is a old white man's game. Historically, it was. But now this stuff been democratized. Right. We got podcasts about it. We got social media about it. Now it's apps that allow us. To, to buy stocks for free. I remember when I when I got E-Trade in 08, it cost me $13 to buy and $13 to sell. Mm. So if I'm putting $100 to work, I got over, I got 13% in over in, in costs to buy that. So at that moment, I'm already lost. I need the stock to go over 13% for me to, you know what I mean, to yeah. make money. So at that moment, it's like, all right, but now democratization of everything, right? Like we, we swimming in knowledge, but we yearning for wisdom. And now it's like, how do we give everybody the right wisdom and so one of the things i did was like man i want to start um putting out content right because i went by the moniker wall street rapper i was talking to somebody she's like okay what the hell does wall street mean so it's like let me bring main street i mean let me bring wall street to main street and so one of the things i was able to do was while i was working i was always had a hustles right shout out my dog jay we used to throw parties we had the drill then i also opened up a restaurant and then i had the content and i had the music so i'm like bro one of the things i said if i can make a fraction of what I make while working on Wall Street, while only dedicating, call it four or five hours to the side hustles, then if I gave it 24 hours, then it's over with. And so I was able to leave while having other investments, right? Still trading and develop economics. So you became, at the time you leave full-time trading, is or, or the side hustles are now supplementing what you used to make on Wall Street. Is that what we, what we saying? Yeah, so I used to own a restaurant yeah. called Drink House. In Chicago. Anybody in Chicago know this was the most busting spot in the city. Can we vouch? Can we vouch? Yeah. They, they gonna merch. <laughs> he gonna merch. They gonna merch. Anybody from Chicago watching Drink House, it was in Greek Town, right? We already in a predominantly white neighborhood. Yeah. Right. It's really political in Chicago. The mob is heavy there. You feel me? But it could be, you know, it's political or whatnot. But we had the business for a minute and um we had to shut it down. You know, we had some uh, political stuff that made us shut it down, but I was making good money with that. 
as well as the investments and then Maconomics started making money. And I think that's one of the things. So, and much like y'all, I did Maconomics because I wanted to. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a business at first. And I was sure y'all attest like, you know, EYL wasn't a business until y'all made it one. But when you started out with the passion, yeah. it was over with, right? Like, you know, like how Maconomics started, it was an urban Jim Cramer, right? Like people gonna call in to my show. Right, so you got a shorty, she's stripping, she's making a lot of money, she's trying to figure out, yo, what should I do, right, for retirement, right? You got a girl who baby did, he might have just got locked up, she called in, yo, I'm trying to flip it, have some bread for my man like Keisha Kior deal with Gucci. Boom. So we're going to laugh, right? We're going to do the Tyler Perry yeah. approach, we're going to make you laugh while also opening you up to saying, all right, let's actually educate you. And so when Maconomics came about, it was fun, but then, you know, I was able to start actually attaching sponsors to it and actually find a way to actually become making money with it though. How, how receptive were your peers to it at first? Because a lot of times people will say, like, did you always know this is going to be successful? And it's like, man, we, we kind of figured out, well, let's just add value. The success will be what it is. But like, how receptive were the people to you? Obviously coming from Wall Street and now it's like, I'm back in my neighborhood. Sometimes they can look at you like, nah, man, he, he sold out. He left us. He's not one of us. Mm-hmm. How, how, how was that? The peers on Wall Street, or no, the peers people that back look in like Chicago, us. yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Now they super receptive, okay, because they understood. Like I think the one thing is like most people would be self conscious in the sense of like getting in front of a camera talking because mm-hmm. you're like, yo, this how I sound on camera. This how I look. Like you think you mad corny. Uh, shout out to y'all. I'm in New York, so I'm gonna say mad. <laughs> Appreciate <laughs> mad corny, but like so you know the peers were super receptive because they realized like, bro, I ain't never knew that. They parents ain't having them conversations. Mm-hmm. They grandparents ain't you know, pass away and leave them no trust fund and, you know, no um, life insurance. And they ain't, they ain't start thinking about retirement and they they go online a little bit here and there and they hear about stocks and crypto, but they ain't know about it. So when you dumbing it down and make it easy to digest, people really respect that. Yeah. Well, your peers on Wall Street that are now seeing you doing so, that? So the peers on Wall Street was interesting because it was delicate. So to give you an idea, when you're the only black person on the desk, everybody black, I mean, I'm sorry, everybody white, only a few women, and then you, and you making music, you don't want to be the prototype, the stereotypical black dude, right? Oh, you a rapper, too, right? <laughs> oh, you a rapper, you know what I mean? Oh, they, strong, strong ER on that. You know what I mean? They, <laughs> big ERs on everything. Oh, really? Ivy League rapper now, right? You know what I mean? So you trying to cold switch, you trying to, you know, a person ask me, hey, how was your weekend? Oh, it was cool. Hung out. Period, bro. We ending this. You don't need to know I just threw a party and I performed, et cetera. Like, you don't need to know none of that. And so the peers were one of the ones like, oh, wait, what's he doing? Oh, he's making music. Because while I was there, I never let them know I made music, right? I had big songs. I didn't, I had some shows I was opening up, right? You got people really rocking with your music. But while you're in there, I don't have no outside life, right? Outside of, oh, everything's cool, just hung out, going home to see family or et cetera, right? Like, you don't really, everybody know the code switching, but it's super real when you work in there. And so the the old colleagues, it was interesting. I think they were able to accept it later, right? You look now, you got the CEO of Goldman Sachs, bro, DJ on the weekend, bro, fully out here. The CEO of Goldman Sachs, a real house DJ, bro. He probably pop Molly out type of stuff, dog. <laughs> Think, bro, he a, he a house allegedly. DJ. Allegedly. I'm kind of, <laughs> allegedly, bro. But th- when you think about it, though, like, bro, when you talk about Goldman, Morgan, JP, everybody, for the most part, unless you part of the fraternity, you ain't really disclosing what you're doing in your personal life. And so um, the peer, the colleagues, right, the work colleagues were like, oh, that's cool. 
until they see it being, you know, more successful. But the peers, the people that look like us, they, bro, good luck, bro. And my mama, I ain't never heard it like that. I ain't never knew that. Good luck, right? It's like, and y'all know, y'all, I mean, we, I mean, it's similar. Y'all know. Similar. Yeah, yeah. So I want to talk about, I want to talk about you developing the, the company, but let's, let's talk about some financial, because I know you, you obviously speak about a lot of different things. So we're in a recession. Or are we in a recession? What's your thoughts on the economic climate that we're in right now? Are we in a recession or are we headed towards a recession? Like what's your, what's your thoughts on that? So by definition, textbook definition, we are in a recession. Two negative quarters, two, two consecutive quarters of negative GDP. So textbook definition, yes, we're in a recession, right? But then you'll have a person like Biden get on like, oh, we're not technically in a recession because if you get two consecutive negative quarters of GDP, you also need uh people being unemployed where technically unemployment is um you know at its lowest levels right not that many people are unemployed and so what you will say is that we have all the makings of a recession so textbook yes right the subjective definition is maybe not yet because job because you know the the jobs aren't fully there yet but now you're looking at this a huge cycle, right? Many people are starting to to feel, you know, the pressure of uh, interest rates being at, you know, decades high at this rate, right? Where you know you're looking at the 30 year at over seven percent to get a to get a career versus three percent at the beginning of the year, and so now you're seeing borrowing costs go up not only for consumers but for businesses, and so you're seeing Morgan Stanley laying off people, mm -hmm. Coinbase, um, um, Facebook. Facebook, Wells Fargo, etc. Right, and so Twitter was different, but we're starting to see that. Yeah. But then it's like, okay, which industries are having that? You know, people being laid off, and so what? You know, historically has been right. If there's two, you know, consecutive quarters of GDP, people are also losing their jobs, and so because there was just so much pent up demand, there wasn't as many people being laid off. But I think we're getting ready to start seeing that over the course of the next two quarters or so. So I think, you know, many people are saying we'll have a full-blown recession, but the reality is we're in a recession, right? Textbook, we're in a recession. We see the remnants of it. Um, people net worth has been declining drastically from property values are starting, we're finally starting to see a little tick down in that. Um, but also, you know, your stock portfolio, crypto portfolio, et cetera. Um, so you, you think we're in a recession? Yeah, I think so. I mean, like you said, by definition, definitely we are in a recession. It's a little different as far as with the jobs and the the total economic environment that mm -hmm. we're in, which is a little, you know, hard to say that it's, it doesn't look like a previous recession. Let's yeah. just say that, right? Yeah. The It's weird, but I think that we're in a recession for sure. Mm -hmm. And I think that it'll probably get worse in the next six months or so. Yeah, yeah. And it's global. Yes. Right. If you look at where inflation is here, over eight percent now. It's even crazier in Europe. Yeah. What was it? Turkey was eighty nine percent. Jesus. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that inflation. Let's talk about that. For the average person that's just hearing inflation, like, why is inflation so crazy right now, and how, and why is it important to know about inflation? It's important to know about inflation because it determines your cost of living, right? And so, when you hear the average. Being in New York, when you hear the average rent is 5K, that's crazy. It wasn't that five years ago or 10 years ago. And so what inflation is, right, CPI, we actually get that data this week. Um, 
consumer price index, which measures a basket of goods and services, right? So it's showing you what the average price of something you're paying, where you look up energy prices might be up 20%, food prices might be up 12%, and everything else is kind of still, whether it's the cost of education, the cost of leisure, and um, you know things of that sort of clothes, et cetera. But like, it's important to understand what inflation is because in a normal year, we always are going to have inflation. The cost of living increases every year. That's why most jobs give you a two, three, four, five percent increase on your salary um, because all the goods increase over time. So back when we had grandmamas, you know, they was oh, well, gas used to be five cent, uh, milk used to be ten cent, right? And I'm talking about my childhood. I remember going to a corner store, chips was a quarter. Bro, I just talked to some kids; they never knew chips was a quarter. I'm like, what? So it made me feel old, but at the same time, that lets you know that the cost of goods, the, the cost of a basket of goods from 10 years ago versus today is much more expensive. So like what 8% inflation means today is like, if I got a hundred dollars, if I had a hundred dollars a year ago and I just had it in my pocket, had it in my mattress, I had it in the bank. Well, the math is saying that hundred dollars is only going to be able to buy you $92 worth of goods. So you literally just lost $8 by holding your money. And so inflation is one of those things that it's a silent killer of your money, right? You know, they say cancer is a silent killer and all that, or tobacco, et cetera. Like inflation is really the the silent killer when it comes to wealth, because if your money's just sitting there, you need to understand that the cost of living is increasing every year. And that's the one thing I tell people like, especially when they be like, yo, I done lost some money. Um, invest and I'm straight. I ain't never investing again or I don't want to invest. I need to be able to see my money, etc. Like, nah, bro, yo, you by not investing, you losing money. By only having your money in the bank account getting 0.16%, you losing money, right? And that's lucky. 0.16 is a lot, right? And so um, by purely having your money in the mattress, you know, a lot of people that look like us, you know, mistrust banks, rightfully so, right? Because they, for the most part, then did us dirty, right? From the Freeman's Bank to losing our wealth to um to to yeah, the investments bro you feel me like so we understand yeah. predatory loans etc right so we understand it but like the one thing you got to wake up and be like yo if if i just had my money purely in the bank i've lost my purchasing power by eight percent right the average inflation rate is about three percent two to three percent but like now it's at 40 year highs and so everybody should pay attention to inflation that's the one thing that has us where we're at now right and what what inflation really comes from is the supply demand curve right and so just basic econ right what we have was increased demand because everybody and their cousin hit for that twenty thousand ppp loan people was getting twelve hundred dollar stimulus but everybody and their mama got the 20k ppp loan right and then so when you got an influx of money i want to say a quarter of the u.s dollars um over the course of the past two years you know, over a quarter of the the U.S. dollar supply was just printed. They were just printing money, right? And so you got more demand and less supply. The less supply comes from the supply chain issues with China, right? People weren't working because they realized, oh, shit, I'm making more money unemployed than I was working at my job. I'm straight. I don't want to work, right? So you got, you know, semiconductor shortages, China shutting down if somebody sneezes. Right, China, wild, wow, bro. Imagine going, bro. Can you imagine going to a, a a Disney World, bro? And everybody in there is ten thousand of y'all. Like, oh, somebody got COVID. All y'all got to stay in here, or they lock you in your crib. And so the idea, what inflation is so high right now, is because increased demand. Everybody, for the most part, have money. Right, it's like that that uh, 
it was like that uh, Dave Chappelle episode when everybody got reparations, right? Like, folks just bought, oh, let me buy the whole truck. A rich people. What about the whole truck of cigarettes, right? So really, everybody, for the most part, had money through COVID, right? In hindsight, they might not have did it that, they probably shouldn't have did that much, or they probably should have raised rates higher, or, or sooner, rather. But like, the supply side is one of the things that's hard, though, right? And I was doing, I had, um, I was doing some content for the street, Shout out Street um, was where we were talking about, okay, even if we are able to slow down the demand, the supply side still needs to come higher. And it might not because you got this, like people are adopting the just in case business model where they are getting, they front loading and grabbing more inventory just in case uh, China shuts down again, which we know that can happen at the blink of an eye. But then they're also diversifying and trying to get stuff from other countries. But then those are going to be more expensive. Right. So you got, you know, retail companies that have more inventory and have higher expenses because they're using different partners that are, you know, different freight charges, et cetera. So they still going to pass them prices on to the consumer. So they still going to have higher prices. So, you know, this thing could get ugly for a while. In a recessionary environment like we're in. Right. I, I know you talked about sectors that you're looking at. Retail is one of them. Are there things that we should be other sectors that we should be looking at? and companies we should be looking inside those sectors to say, all right, these are safe places to put money in, in this type of environment. You always say whether you're looking for the type of stuff that have inelastic demand. So consumer staples, you're going to need to brush your teeth, deodorant all the time, healthcare, energy, defense. Them four sectors, I say, for the most part, are doing well. And simultaneously, while we're in this raising rate environment, financials. Right. Because you look and you say, how do financials make money? They're loaning money out. And if they are able to get more return because rates are higher, that's another thing that helps with their profitability. But defense spending is always going to be one of those things. Healthcare, people going to need their insulin shots, whether they got money or not. Right. They they won't they won't pay their car note before they won't go get their diabetes medicine. Right. And so looking at those type of things and just like the the thing that have truly inelastic demand people are going to have to shop right uh discretionary spending is going to be down right so there are sectors to avoid but the things you need day to day right buying water toothpaste um deodorant food mm -hmm. people going to drink regardless right uh alcohol that is um but that that's kind of what you're looking at right and people probably drink more alcohol in a recession than not so <clears throat> all right so the macronomics is media company media company yes so all right so what exactly does it all entail it you have show mm -hmm. you create content you do merch you, like what's under the umbrella black wealth matters um so what started off shout out to y'all because i love how y'all leveled up and just took y'all stuff to a full-blown scale company, right? I call it Maconomics, a full-blown production company. So not only am I creating content, you know, where we have shows with Revolt, do stuff with BET, uh, stuff on the street, but we also have the ability to specialize with making financial literacy pr uh, content for fintech companies. So that's, that's a lane that I've paved out and said, okay, I see a niche and I see companies are trying to increasingly understand how to make content and how to reach their consumers. It's a way you need to talk when you're creating content. So, you know, working with big fintech companies as well as small, right? I had a few calls this past week with two, you know, Fortune 100 companies that like, 
Earners, what's up? Look, as a small business owner or hiring manager, you know that success in 2023 all depends on the team members you surround yourself with. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. With LinkedIn Jobs, you can hire qualified candidates more efficiently by matching open roles with people who have the skills, values, and experience to help you achieve your goals. When we needed operations manager, editors, executive assistants, what do you think our first stop was? That's right, LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs help you quickly attract qualified candidates to your open jobs with targeted tools. They go beyond resume data by using insights from your job post, company, and their 875 million member profiles to put your post in front of the most qualified candidates. Identify the most qualified candidates on LinkedIn Jobs and connect with them fast and for free. Look, our goal in 2023 is to spread our brand on a global scale. It's not just about saying we're the biggest, but actually building the right team members to help us get there. And that's what LinkedIn Jobs does. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash EYL. That's linkedin.com slash EYL to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Yo, we want to just refresh our whole YouTube, etc., cetera, uh, our whole branding in general. That's something that I specialize in. So, you know, being able to um, work with some big companies and they're trying to find better ways to have content that reaches younger demographics, reaches people of color, and just is more cool and hip, right? And so being able to make that type of content where I'm hiring people, right? Because we might need a little diversity. I'm going to hire, you know, a rainbow of people, right? Using agencies to hire people. But that's the that's one of the things that I, that I love about it. Um, obviously, we got the podcast, you know, shout out Cope, that type of stuff. But it's all about saying, you know, what's the niche? How can we fill a void? And I think one of the, the best things was saying, you know, taking, you know, how y'all got the highest resolution type cameras. It's like, how can I have the highest resolution cameras as well as the best finishing special effects, right? What's going to captivate a person? Because if you got a short attention span, how can we get across to the to the end user? You know, how can we get them to truly identify with this brand when, when you're in the meeting with these these four you said the fortune 100 companies i mean how much accountability do you feel that they've taken right i feel like for a long time the information wasn't digestible mm-hmm. which is why they're reaching out to you yeah do you do you, do you sense any culpability from them at this point or are they i feel like sometimes they just don't get it yeah and yeah. obviously i mean having us and having yourself breaking information down the way it is and obviously others in the space how do you feel with the culpability is um, amongst these companies? No, that's a great point, bro. Like, it's crazy because they are now, they get it now, right? I think um, there was a time where you might have just said people are just doing it to check a box, right? Mm-hmm. You know, kind of, I don't want to even say it, but like that, you know, uh, Black Lives Matter initiative, you had a few businesses that were just checking a box. And then you got people that truly get it and they understand that, yo, if we are standing, like, what do we stand for as a business, right? What's our culture? If we have the ability to impact, you know, Gen Z, you know, people of color, how do we reach them and have better content? Because like you say, if you were looking at the content people had from five years ago, three years ago, shoot, last year, right? You're going to see old white men talking in a very complex way, you know, sound like they nasally, you know what I mean? Like that's the way they come in. And now it's like, how can we have a type of content that's going to be more digestible and and fun to actually interact with? So how how'd your relationship with the street come? So like you do content for them, right? Like green yes. screen content, stuff like that. Yeah. 
Um, so how did that come about? Because you know what's so crazy that you do that. I don't know if I spoke to you about this, but like, you know, we do a lot of stuff for like, like I'll tell like a CNBC article and you know, this green screen is pretty popular online. And um, somebody was saying like, it might've been you. I don't know. One, somebody was saying like, yo, you should, CNBC should be paying you mm. for doing that because it's like amplifying their article yep. that a lot of people don't even know is that the article even existed, mm-hmm. but they can go online and get a hundred thousand, 500,000. Um, views and it's so crazy and shout out to Diddy. So he just uh purchased a marijuana company. Yeah, yeah. So he he had reached out to us through another party and um was like, yo, um, tell the guys can they do a green screen video? Mm-hmm. And then I want to repost it on my page. And that's what happened. So people see I mean. the the impact and the importance of like relaying that type of information. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of companies still don't realize it. So the street did they reach out to you you reached out to them how did that come about we it was uh shout out my boy sam man sam floyd he he actually had a buddy that worked at the company and they reached out it was probably over a year and a half ago at this point uh maybe more and this is the time because for people don't know the street was founded by jim kramer and then he sold the business off um and I was just in talks with them. They, oh, yo, we're trying to, you know, have new uh, content creators, etc. And you know, after Kramer left, they were like, yo, we want to try to revamp this whole thing. And I started out coming over there doing the crypto minute. Um, and so I'm talking literally a minute about anything crypto related, uh, any metaverse related, um, NFT related, etc. And so I was able to really just be there corresponding on that for a while and now we're changing it up like tomorrow i'm going to the new york stock exchange because they have an actual booth there so i'm gonna you know make some content probably the investment of the day so we we're we're starting to change it around but the thing is to your point businesses understand everybody's on their cell phone now so people are on their cell phone more than they are more than probably watching cnbc right like you still gonna have everybody on wall street as they day train for the most part watching cnbc but the younger generation is on their cell phones and so one of the things they're trying to see is how can we get more and more impressions and you get more and more impressions by social media right having more captivating uh videos right where it's like the green screen videos are the ones where it's like oh okay i can see what he's talking about and i can listen and talk to him well hear him right and so you know People don't want the polished videos. They want me, you know, talking like I'm driving in the car, talking to my daughter. They want the phone, you know, kind of from the first person standpoint. And that's what resonate with the audience. Those are the type of videos where you could get, you know, millions and millions of impressions. That's what most businesses are now paying for because social media is vastly, um, it's continuing to grow. And I think that most businesses are shifting their marketing efforts too, saying, how can we get more social media? Um, we don't want the people that got the multi-million dollar. I don't want to pay, you know, Kim K, you know, a million dollars for a post. No, let me go get 20 micro influencers when that's still going to be less than that, but they're going to have, you know, more, more organic impressions. Mm. One of the questions we always get, and you, you seem to take this question by the horn is when should we teach our kids financial literacy? And I know you, you, you have a series where you you teach your financial literacy with, with your two-year-old in, in the backseat. Yeah. So yeah. Talk, talk about the importance of that and really no, having no age limit to the education. Look, man, when you think about where we are right now as a people, once again, we got a ton of information, but it depends on where you're spending your time, right? Everybody on social media, are you trying to see the latest celebrity gossip or are you trying to better yourself from a skill set standpoint? And for me, I look at financial literacy 
as a language. So the earlier you learn how to speak it, the more likely you'll become fluent in it. And so if I'm talking to my daughter at two about how to invest, about retirement accounts, about crypto, about how to improve your credit score, me adding her as a uh, authorized user, right? These things are going to just resonate with her the same way if I had a nanny and she's speaking Spanish to my daughter. She's growing up here in Spanish and English. She's going to be fluent when she's five at four, mm -hmm. right? And so looking at financial literacy as a language is like, okay, let me talk to my daughter. It ain't no Google Gaga talk. We talking real stuff. Yo, the Fed is doing this today. CPI, you think it's going to go up or down? Up, right? She don't know, but she know, yeah. right? And so like, it's going to be become second nature. And those are things that I'm trying to do is like, if we, because most people kind of shy away from the things, you know, they don't know, right? You're a little self-conscious, like, nah, let's just talk about girls and sports. That's what I know, right? But like, if you ask somebody right now, if you ask a relative, bro, what's your credit score? They, gee, what you asking me that for? But if you ask a homie, what's your body count? Oh, shit, man. Bro, I, man, I went crazy, shorty. Allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> but like, that's the thing. So having them type of conversations is like, them the conversations you need to have. And so driving with my daughter, I love it because... It's showing the world, one, the, the stuff I'm doing, the type of accounts that I'm opening for her, right? So people are able to, like, really get into it, right? My daughter, cute. She might, she's talking now, right? But it's like, um, it's like I want to talk to my kids that way, right? And I'm sure y'all do the exact same stuff because our counterparts, they had different conversations at the dinner table, right? Like, they're literally talking about assets, right? It's, you know, oh, so, you know, like, oh, so grandma wants you, or granddad wants you to come intern this summer, shorty 12, right? Like, it's it's different type of conversations that kids have, and if we had them same high-level conversations, right? Shout y'all on that too. Level conversations. You know what I mean? If we had them same type of conversations, like, that's gonna really impact our community for decades to come, because y'all saw the stats, right? 2053, they saying median net worth gonna be zero. zero. Yeah. Right. They say um, I was looking at this McKinsey study. Right. They say the difference between black and whites, there's a three hundred and thirty billion dollar gap on an annual basis that white people are making more than us. And 60 percent of that is coming from inheritance. So if we just having a if we put out a video once a month, talk about your black people, we should get insurance, life insurance. That right there is going to change our life for years to come. And I got an even crazier aspect. Right. I live in Chicago. Right. At one point, the murder capital it might still be actually, I don't know. But you know, the quickest way to, to actually get rid of inner city murders and violence, go out and get everybody insured. If every person in the hood on my shorty, if every person in the hood had life insurance, the, it would no longer be a, oh, what's the mayor doing? Because now Wall Street is impacted, right? Money run this world, let's be honest, right? Like we see how people could get canceled real quick, right? It's like money runs the world. And so the moment people start messing with money, it's like, wait a minute, yo. Cause you know, allegedly, I like how you, allegedly a lot of guns was was dropped into our hoods. A lot of drugs was dropped into our hoods, allegedly, or we could call it a spade. That, that ain't allegedly, all right, cool. All right, I, you know, so I'll just, but if you ask yourself now, What's the way to rectify that? Because if shorties and them ain't gonna put the guns down, they can't get, you know, you had old Trump saying, oh, we gonna send the, the uh, the what are you saying? We gonna send the, US, the National Guard to Chicago to patrol. Listen, man, the way you get that done is when Wall Street say, wait a minute, we gotta stop this. Because if, if every time you look up and you see 10 people were shot in Chicago, 
not nationally. We talk in Chicago alone. If 10 people die in Chicago, that's $10 million of new wealth. If everybody had a million dollar life insurance policy, which only costs an eighth a weed to get $35, $40. If everybody had a million dollar life insurance policy and they die and their parents just inherited 500,000 to a, a million dollar life insurance policy. And this is happening every week. So now black black households are getting more and more wealth, unfortunately, to the, due to the demise. But what I'm saying is that if everybody had life insurance policies, the way we would solve violence in the in the hood, G, is insurance companies is going to say, wait a minute, Northwestern Mutual is going to say, no, 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 I didn't pay it out. Too many people, the average life, right? They When the actuaries, right, the people that that's behind, you know, the life insurance stuff, if they saying, yo, the average death rate is between 67 and 80 or something whatever and people dying at 22 in the hood they just messed up my whole our whole life insurance you know chart our actuarial charts they gonna find a way to to lower violence g and so i just think like when we having them conversations with our people it's like bro we gotta invest we gotta get life insurance but like i look at life insurance as a defense mechanism to keep the government from trying to keep violence in our hood because once the money is messed with bro on, on, on everything they're gonna have to find a way to to slow it down because it's no longer just a conversation of a person campaigning it's real when it's a monetary uh when it like when people boycott a company and they like oh they lost this amount of money they're gonna try to come out they're gonna come out and say yo we want to change this or that if every life insurance company which Wall Street is all behind because they're invested in those companies. It's messing up all the other business models. Just to be a trickle down effect. It's messing up annuity payouts. It's messing up people pension funds. It's messing up everything. And if the money's involved, and that that's what will genuinely end violence. It's a good take. It's a hot take. Hot take. Hot take. So, all right. So, where are we at now? As far as you have the 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 podcast with Brandon Copeland, right? Yeah. You have you still have a show money money music culture. You have the show revolt still. Yeah, Maconomics song. So revolt. What what is that? Everything list everything that you have going on right now. Okay, so money music culture podcast with Coat Maconomics the show on revolt. The street it's the crypto minute right now. We probably change that name. Um, we got music. Shout out R O double dollar sign note right out. R-O double dollar sign Mac when you go look it up. Best rapper you ain't heard of yet. Uh, what else we got? Get Smart With Money. Get Smart With Money, Get the Netflix. Money. And then we got the Maconomics Investing Club, Maconomics University. Yeah, Get Smart With Money, that's it. That's lit. Yeah, what was the experience, right? So people who don't know, you, you're, on, you're a Netflix star. I remember we were, we were out in Chicago. They were like, yo, aren't you the guy from Netflix? Yeah. I'm like, he is. Yeah, is <laughs> what, what was that like? Yo, so one, um, it was amazing. Uh, you, we literally shot that over the course of a year and it was so amazing. So right now I'll definitely urge you, right. To go watch, get smart with money. So Netflix, the hardest thing in the world, call your boo, call your auntie, your cousins. You know what I mean? Netflix is chill. Let's get it. But it's amazing because it's a documentary of four people, four families, I'll say, who, you know, are struggling financially in some retrospect, right? And they're partnered with four financial coaches, right? And I'm one of the coaches. And the dope thing is I'm partnered with a young kid in the NFL. And what I did over the course of a year, I changed his overall relationship with money, his perception of what wealth is and how to attain it and keep it, right? I say that the easiest thing is to get the money. The hardest thing is to keep the money. And so when you're that young in the NFL, you sign a million dollar contract and you look up, oh, taxes is this. 
oh, I blew this. And you, then you show them the opportunity cost, right? If you've been in the league this long and you ain't invested, damn, over these five years, you would have 7X your bread, right? And you're like, oh, damn, okay. Um, and so it's just really transformative because it's helping everyday people understand how to, you know, shout out Budget Nisha, she's helping somebody get out of debt. Um, you have another person who's living paycheck to paycheck. They, they showing him how to, showing her, excuse me, how to get a side hustle. Then you got another family that's making good bread, but they spending a lot. So you're showing them how to uh, manage their expenses. And me, I'm showing a kid who never invested before how to invest, why it's important to invest, and you know the the easiest way to go about it. And that was like just starting out grabbing an index fund, right? I was showing them S&P, we're showing them NASDAQ, and then we started talking about a few other companies. Um, and there was a, you know, a lot, over the course of a year, we did a lot of talking. Um, a lot of stuff didn't make the film. Um, but we talked about everything and, uh, that's my dog. He on the Seahawks now. Shout out T's. That's my brother. Yeah. They, uh, we was in Paris and uh, a guy was asking us about, he's like, how come y'all not in that documentary? Yeah, for sure. So, all right. We gotta, so, we gotta get them to do another one, man. And we in it. So the, so the plan for your company is to grow the media component. Yeah. Yeah. So like, what's the, what's the 10 year vision for the, for, for your company? I love you say it like that. <laughs> I feel like an interview. Question, <laughs> motherfucker, supposed to practice. All right, so they asked me, "What's my five and ten year plan?" But no, like one, the media component of Maconomics will continue to grow, bigger clients, greater production quality. Um, I obviously have something that's near and dear to me, and that's the Maconomics, you know, club portion where people getting in they learning how to invest from the fundamental and technical side right we talked about the fundamentals earlier but the technical component is the one most people are interested in but like before you get there i definitely say right you got to learn how to walk before you run um and so that's one side but we don't we're getting into a lot of well we're in the process of getting into components that's gonna be geared towards kids so you know media from that realm and then down the line, it's about raising capital, right? It's like actually having, you know, managing capital, whether it's from the VC standpoint or from a from the hedge fund standpoint, right? Being a, a asset allocator is really where it's at. I, I remember I said that to y'all a minute ago, about a year ago, or if not longer, right? But I think that's a, a huge component. But it's like the goal, right, once again, was trying to help educate our community to make sure that our net worth ain't zero in 30 years, right? And so how do we do that, right? We got to continue to market and meet our client where they're at. So that's social media, right? We're, we, we're continuing to partner with brands and helping them, right? Continuing to, whether you're young or old, we want to be able to uh, reach you there. And then it's also about saying how to actually grow your wealth. I think that's one thing that you guys do a great job at, right? It's like, okay, we'll entertain you, but this ain't just no concert type of entertainment where you leave sweaty or whatnot. Now you leave with your life change, right? Life altering conversations where it's like, yo, I never thought about that. And it's like giving people actionable items and steps to building wealth, right? Like becoming financially free is not something that is far-fetched anymore, right? And I think it's just a function of, yo, this is the blueprint. I can show you the slow way to be, to for sure become a millionaire. Are you patient enough to get there, right? I think in this day and age, most people, we, we want instant gratification, right? Everybody want to make a million in a year. But if we giving you the blueprint to truly saying, put $400 in the S&P 500 every month, and that's going to compound, and you'll be a millionaire in 25 years, 20, whatever, right? Like 
those are the type of conversations we need to have. And so, you know, Maconomics going back to the to the convo, it's like continuing to, to get people to understand how to get wealth and how to keep wealth and the production of it. And then also um, getting into the children production as well as uh, managing capital. Um, we'll, we should at some point have schools adapt curriculum, Maconomics curriculum. Um, more on the big screen. I thought I was flash hell on on Netflix. They had my emblem on, bro. Like if you go to <laughs> get smart with money, you see me on there. That shit was hot. You know what I'm saying? So like that's legit. My eyes like, gee, I, one of my homies sent me like, bro, I ain't gonna hold you, G. I was literally at this girl crib. We trying to Netflix and chill. <laughs> he like, fo, you right there? He like, bro. Uh, he was like, that's wild. Let's see. I sure like, yo, let's watch this. He was like, bro, I ain't even tell. I knew you. That was probably gonna mess it up. I'm like, he's like, this is so funny. But yeah. So I don't yeah, know which yeah. I, I get. Y'all gotta hit y'all with that question. What, yeah. What's y'all ten year plan? Well, I, I wanted to, I, before you ask that question, I got a, a question because you're the face of the brand, mm -hmm. and so how do you manage and how will you manage spending time in the business versus spending time on the business? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all about, and I I tip my hat to y'all because y'all do a phenomenal job of entrusting people. And saying, okay, let me build out a team, right? I think in order to have a true successful business, you have to be able to take a step back and entrust other people and be able to delegate, right? And I think you guys have built a phenomenal business. And when I'm with y'all, I'm saying, okay, this person is this. He handles operations. He handles this. He handles merch, et cetera. And for a while, I've been, I've been wearing a lot of hats. And um, to your point, it's like, you know, stepping back and saying, okay, it's time that we can hire other people, right? Um, in my Maconomics club, I got my, shout out my dog, Teo. He's killing it on the technical side. He's calling out shit every day, smacking, smacking. Yo, we just boom, 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 smacking, right? And so from there, it's all about being able to take a step back and focus on some of the bigger things while maintaining the business and allowing it to continue to grow and prosper. I want to ask you about the music. Um, so. For people that might not have been familiar with your 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 rap, what kind of what would you classify your music as? Is it is it economic based? Are you talking about money? Is it socially conscious? Is it street rap? Like what are you rapping about? Yeah, great question. It's God honest truth. Shout out to my dog Dante. I had a meeting with Warner, like the big you know label Warner. And uh, we in the label, and we you know we playing songs and shit. He rocking. He like, bro, you would, I would sound like if Gucci was educated, right? Not saying Gucci ain't educated. I don't like the way that came off. But it sounded, he was like, yo, this is an educated Gucci. And so I look at it as, you know, rap is the most braggadocious genre of music, right? We talk about how many girls we got, how many foreigns we drive, how much money we got, et cetera. And so my music... I am using that as another avenue to continue to educate, right? It's like if I'm talking about, you know, million dollar deal, just read that respect this, put my niggas on, you gonna have to respect this, looking at commercial units out in Texas. Like if I'm talking about shit and they nigga, what, what the fuck is a prospectus gang? Like, you know what I mean? And so the idea is talk about the shit we doing where it ain't no cap in it, but more importantly, opening it up to saying like, yo, I... I get what he's talking about, right? Like, so from the beginning of time, that's why I went by the Wall Street rap. I'm talking about on the dial band, call spreads for some tall bread. 
on the prowl for a tall chick with some good. You know what I mean? The, <laughs> yeah, I was bleep that out. That my, my brother's head out. I think. Uh, but the idea is like, it's like we making this Wall Street stuff more relatable, right? And so, um, you know, the music is something that I love doing. Um, I've been making it for a while, and uh, but it's like what you talking about, like what what what's gonna separate you? So and it's, it's based in financial literacy. Yeah, Real yeah, bad. yeah. But like, but it's fun though. Like, but so what I will say about the music game is like, I'll never be a starving artist, right? I'm working on Wall Street while I'm making music, right? I'll never, you know what I mean. And so, but the greatest thing was like learning how to make money from music. I learned how to make money from music off syncs and licensing. So what that is, is getting your songs placed in TV shows, mm. movies, video games. To date, my greatest placement was I got a song called A Dub. Well, I'm talking some Wall Street shit. Um, it's on NBA 2K. Mm. So that shit's spinning. I'm talking about people all over the world hitting me. Yo, NBA 2K bought me here. NBA 2K bought me here. But the spin's on it crazy. So I'm getting to check off that. But then I'm on Showtime. I'm on Nishai. I'm on HBO. I'm on... Southside, I'm on Netflix, I'm on Outer Banks, I'm on BET, several shows on BET. Shout out, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't hit BET over the head, right? I'm on Sisters, um, I was on a gang of stuff on BET. I, don't, I, I used to have it written down, but the the idea is like, bro, when you make an upbeat rhythm, you finding the correct frequency, right? Like music is science, G, and if you know how to hit that frequency, upbeat. Like most scenes, right? Anytime you listen to, anytime you watch a movie or hear a commercial and you hear music, they paid that that artist to use their songs. And generally, they not gonna pay Kanye because he gonna have a stupid bag. I need a million to use this. They pay smaller artists, right, in order to license their music. And so that's a niche that I that I love. I literally just got an email, uh, probably three four weeks ago. Like, yo, and the, and the best part, bro, it's like you build a library of music. And sometimes you don't even got to put it out. It's throwaways. But what you do is you have like the the way the name of the game there is, and I've done this before. You get on LinkedIn and you just Google, not Google. You go on LinkedIn, everything. And when you think of search, like that's Google. You go on LinkedIn and you search music supervisor. And music supervisors are the people that take a scene of a movie or a video game or a commercial and they say, okay, what's the mood of this scene? This is the type of music I want. So then they reach out to what I would call music brokers, right? They're uh, program, uh, music programmers, et cetera, right? And they have like an inventory of cribs, right? If you're a real estate broker, they got an inventory of songs. And then they're reading and they're saying, okay, what's this? Okay, so we need an upbeat song that's talking about women empowerment. We need a dance record because they in the club, right? Boom. And so Shorty's able to, shout out Melissa, you the GOAT. She's able to take my music and pitch it and say, yo, this, that, right? Where you, I remember, man, she hit me with a- um, Who's Melissa? She runs the company, one of the companies that I use that goes out and pitch my music. Mm -hmm. So like, literally she emailed me three, four weeks ago, like, yo- She's like an agent. Effectively, right? And she's taking my music and she's pitching it um, and saying, yo, they want this type of song. Do you approve of it? Um, yeah, right? Like I remember I had a song and like the thing is, this song ain't never out. It's not out. I made it probably three, four years ago. I don't even remember it. Like when she asked me, like, yo, what's the song? And I talked to the producer, like, bro, you cool with this? He was like, bro, send me the song. I don't even know what it is. He like, oh, that shit hard, bro. We might got to put it out now. Like in my mind, I'm going to have to put it out because you'll get organic 
plays from it. So you're going to get even more money. Right. So you're going to get the money on the, on the licensing side. But then, right, how many times have you been watching a TV show like, yo, what's that? Uh, Shazam, or yeah, that's the name. Shazam, what song is this? Yeah. Right, and then that's how you get even plays. So you're getting on the front end and the back end. How, how profitable is it? Like, even for like a two K, like when you get paid to do it first to license it, but obviously people pay it through our, inside the game, and then maybe people go find it on a streaming platform. How profitable is it? Is it like we're gonna give you ten thousand for the song? How, how does that work? Yeah, every every show has a different budget. Every movie has a different music budget where I think Showtime, they can offer you a little bigger bag, like 10. Um, commercials and movies is the biggest. Mm. I ain't got there yet. Um, I took a little hiatus because I just got two babies, two under two. So it's been super real in the crib, but I'm getting back down, right? But um, I remember when Melissa hit me one time, she's like, yo, I'm so sorry I'm coming at you late, but I got a commercial, they paying 100 racks. Mm. It's um it was for Google. Bro, me and my dog Finny, shout out my brother Finny. We we went in and knocked out like two, three songs in 40 minutes, sent it to her. She like, oh, this is great. And the idea is knowing the type of frequency, knowing how not to cuss as much. Like, I don't have that much cursing in my music, right? Because they you're gonna need the clean version, they're gonna need um the MP3. I mean, I'm sorry, they're gonna need the you know the high wave file, the uh, the instrumental and the clean version, right? But um, when you're doing that, it's all about just knowing the frequency, like having fun in the music. Some, but some people, you know, like that dark, sad, you know, slit your wrist type music too, where that might get a good placement. But like the big placements is a feature film. Like I get one of them. It's up. That's interesting because um, I never thought about that before. But I definitely, you know, you hear songs that you never heard of like in the in these tv shows stuff like that it's like background music yeah and for like a couple seconds you know we think about it but like mm -hmm. definitely a lot of songs i mean of course you hear like some big name artists but a lot of times you hear it's been like power and stuff like that you'll just hear random stuff yeah that you've never heard before ever so all those artists probably got paid i would say anywhere from 5 to 15k but the the, the game is getting multiple placements there's a young um I know this one girl who just be knocking out CW placements. She getting like five a month. And it's like, I doubt she gonna, you know, disclose her source. Yeah. Because when you're looking at it, if CW is looking for this song, then they go to me and her. And my stuff might be better. She ain't, she ain't gonna disclose it. But the idea is you start out, music supervisor. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I want to slap myself right now because I found this, the music supervisor for all of Activision Blizzard. So that's all their stuff, right? I went to I went to this thing called SyncCon with me and my producer, shout out Jay Mix. We went out there and we was just networking like crazy, like NFL. Uh, somebody was there from the like, because everybody has music to take any scene of a movie to the next level, right? Like anytime you turn on TV, you're gonna hear music. Like that is where we are, right? Whether it's that, you, whether it's just some normal classical music, hip hop, like hip hop, the number one genre right now right? EDM, club scene, whatever, like those DJs are getting paid. And the reality is if you're signed, it's harder to get the clearance and they're going to charge you more. So, you know, big pub deals, etc. And so certain people, they rather go after smaller artists. And so if you're a small artist, bro, find you LinkedIn, music supervisor, Google music supervisor companies, right? Google sync and licensing companies. And that's how you really 
take your music to the next level where you come from being a starving artist. Because right now, I'll just knock out a song and I'll just send it to her. I won't even get a mix and master. If I'm like, yo, you rock this? All right, for sure, I'll make the investment to get it mixed and mastered. Because the same way the, the the studio in the crib here, I'm recording in the crib, right? Like, when I first started making music, bro, it's all about having, like you say, no overhead, right? Like, because the studio sessions might be $75 to $125 an hour. Ma's going there about four, you know, four-hour session. They bring a lot of friends with them. They smoke and drink, and you look up, you only knocked out one song. I'm at the crib. I'm knocking out songs quick. And the ideas, right, had a great producers and you telling them, I need this to be sample free. That's the only way your music could go in. If it ain't, if it's a sample in it, if they sampling anything, any voice or anything, and it's not like, uh, what's it called? A uh, public domain, which is mean that you had, it for, it's been out for over, uh, I think a hundred years or six, whatever it is, then, then you can't use it. So like my music supervisor, she called me, she say, yo, um, is this, um, is this sample free? I'm like, absolutely. You know, I don't send you nothing with it. She's like, all right, let's go. Um, I got somebody that I want. And like that's, I mean, I, I, I used to, I, I had a run where I was just going crazy um, before the pandemic. And then I had two pandemic babies and I was just slowing <laughs> down. But I'm back down. We got a new song out called Money Gang. Uh, it's hard. Yeah, yeah. Right. So every time somebody comes here, we let them choose their albums. Yeah, yeah. I, in my mind, before you got here, I figured you would choose something from the shy, so I understand the college dropout. But you chose Forest Hills, 2014. Yeah. What's the significance? So the crazy thing about Forest Hills, shout out J. Cole, was that um, I got to go on a tour. So this is my first tour. Shout out my brother Jeremiah. Uh, on that tour, it was J. Cole, Big Sean, Jeremiah, and YG. Um, it was It was lit. Uh, it was crazy because this was, so the album came out 2014, but the tour was summer 2015. And so this was so player because when I had resigned from Morgan Stanley for the new job that was going to be in Chicago, right? For, uh, for my, the, the, the fund, the hedge fund I was going to, um, I told Morgan Stanley, yo, they need me to start immediately. And I told the, the new job, yeah, they, they I, I got to finish up a few projects. I need about a month. So I literally, I had a gap month where it was just, I flew all the way West Coast and we just went to city, 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 all the way back uh, towards the Midwest. I ended up, I think I hopped off um, in New York um, because I had to start work, unfortunately. Um, but like, that was one of the greatest experiences because one, you get to see the business of it. Um, J. Cole, a genius, that man, a genius, bro. Like he, he, he's selling out amphitheaters probably in one day right like and so able being able to one see the business side of that type of thing seeing the merch tables seeing you know all the other ancillary things you're doing right if you're in this city you want to have the type of manager that's going to get you paid like you want to once again the best like you say having no overhead so it's a, it's a ton of overhead as an artist right you got the tour bus you got the driver you got your dancers you got your feeding these people well now maybe you might not have to feed them because you're paying them then you got your band, right? And so one of the greatest things is in every city you touch in, if you could get a club walkthrough and if you could get merch to offset that, then everything you're operating at a profit. And so being able to see there, help Jeremiah with a, with a few, you know, business things. That's my dog to this day. Um, it was just amazing to see. And so that really, one, helped me take my music to the next level, right? Just being able to see certain things, uh, interacting with, you know, some who's who's too. Like by being with Jeremiah and met a lot of the 
the biggest, dopest mods too. Shout out to Jamma. Shout out. Oh yeah. Yeah. We like that. Yeah, yeah. We like that. Um well, that was very educational. That music is very interesting. Um, any last words that you want to leave the people with? How can they follow you on social media and all of this stuff? Yeah, man. Um, thanks for having me, man. This is long time coming, bro. I am truly, you know, honored to be on y'all platform. I think what y'all doing is phenomenal. Um, my name is Ross Mack, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Mr. Maconomics. Uh, I live by one creed right now. Black wealth matters. Um, I find that to be very important that we continue to each one teach one. Um, you can find more on maconomics.com. Um, follow me on all platforms. I'm Ross Mack. That's I-M-R-O-S-S-M-A-C. And you can shoot me a text, man. I got the 773-232-2577. And I just, you know, leave it with you is continue to change your relationship with money because it's, uh, it's a tool if used right, right? It's not a means for end. It's a tool. And I appreciate y'all. Oh, I'm gonna do it like uh, like that song Dirk uh got with uh with Drake. He say he gonna get a billion streams, so he gonna shout out his he gonna promote his girl. <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna promote my shorty company too, man. Luster Products, number one oldest, longest standing uh hair care company out there, man. Get you some pink, get you some S curl. You did. <laughs> we got beard oil. You did. We got everything coming, man. Luster Products, oh, the greatest man. black owned business, uh, black owned, the oldest. Longest standing black owned hair care company. That's, that's, her, that's her family's company? Yeah, her grandfather started it. Uh everybody know pink oil. I'm I could talk I could talk like Biden. If you use if you never use black pink oil, you're not black. I'm talking Perhaps. like Biden right now. No, no, seriously. Yeah, everybody no, that's a fact. Yeah, it's a fact. It's, it might be a fact. It's an actual fact. So yeah, no, pink no, no, oil no, no. still lives. I'm familiar with Lester. They got yeah, they got a bunch of different um so her grandfather started that company? Yeah. Wow. Who, who runs started. it now? Her father. And what's her role in it? She is brand manager. She's over marketing. Interesting. Pink oil. I think I had spoke. Sites. Somebody might have reached out to us. I feel like maybe a year. I'm or your two guy. Ago. What you need? I got. You. <laughs> <laughs> you trying to? You trying to get a line? We pri <laughs> we private label too. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, shout out to we her. Trying to, we trying to get the Troy Beer line going. <laughs> I That's got crazy. You. I just put pink oil in the other day. Yeah, it's they, like they, that. They, uh, we they got to... a beer oil. It's like that. What was we at? Somebody gave us a, a a gift basket and it was inside. I was like, damn, it's been. A was day. that at uh, Revolt? It might have been at the Revolt. Yeah, yeah, yeah I know yeah, she. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah. They, yeah, she was. They was. They had uh, they had some type of sponsorship. Yep, there yep, too. yep. That's dope. Yeah, you already know, man. We blind. We buying black. You know, so oh, the one of the only standing black owned businesses with no outside, you know, investors, etc. Bro, that's hundred percent black. Well, you know what I mean? I feel. I really feel like dirt right now. <laughs> like on that song with Drake, he like uh, I'm promoting my I'm promoting my B like uh, India Cosmetics or whatever she said. But yeah, man, Maconomics.com. You already know, man. Big big cloth talk. Subscribe to our podcast. They're gonna be on it soon too. Um, Money music culture. Yeah. Um, Maconomics Club, you already know, we're really showing you how to get to a bag. It's like that. Yeah. Sure. Oh, I got a, I got the, one of the things we do is I got a uh, 529 course where I'm teaching you how to make sure your kid is straight for life. Um, I think that's really important, right? Like, as parents, I think it's really important to teach your kids all the things you didn't know rather than give your kids all the stuff you didn't have. I think everybody be so caught up like, oh, I'm going to give my kids some Gucci because I ain't had Gucci. Oh, I'm going to do this, do that. I ain't nothing wrong with that, but also teach them the stuff you didn't know, which is going to help them be better, help them really build generational wealth. So, uh, you know, I got the blueprint with my 529 course in terms of just helping, um, helping you understand how to set it up as well as what type of funds and how to even 
look at a fact sheet and say if this fund is or isn't for you in terms of investments. I like that. Teach your, teach your kids what you didn't know as opposed to giving them what you didn't have. Yeah. That's yeah. a bar. Hey, bar. I'm a rapper. So I got bars. Another bar. <laughs> <laughs> Another bar. Hey, yo, shout, out, shout out to the Warren Business School. So this is the, I'm, I'm counting three, but it might be more. We got Derek Ferguson, Warren mm -hmm. Grad. We had obviously Brandon Copeland. Yeah. And now we have, I have Ross. So uh, I, am I missing anyone? Not sure. Right, but shout out to the Warren School. That, that's incredible, man. Yeah, appreciate y'all, man. It ain't it ain't a lot, man. But look, it ain't a lot. People doing what y'all do, y'all are the epitome of it. So I just want to say thank you again, man. I want to give y'all flowers while y'all living. Y'all going crazy. The story's crazy, <laughs> right? If y'all ever talking to them off camera, right? Like, where we where we at right now, gang? Like this this hard body. So um, y'all going crazy, man. Y'all taking the world over. I can't wait. Uh, I'm putting it out there now. I can't wait to be on the stage at the next Invest Fest. Got to. Got oh, to yeah. I'm putting it out there. I'm putting my being out there. I asked him, I say, G, what a, what a, what a nigga got to do to get on Invest Fest, folks? This is, this is the first step. This is the first yeah, step. Yeah, let's go, gang. So, you know. But now, real talk, though. Y'all going berserk, so. Appreciate y'all for having me. I appreciate Thank you. you. Thank you, brother. Troy, how's you going? Yeah, shout out to everybody on Patreon.com, all of our, our patrons over there. Shout out to all of our people at EYL University, all our earners, everybody supporting the merch. And again, shout out to Ross, man. We, we fung out a few times, man. Just a real solid dude. And, and my brother, we, we, we in the married man club. So shout out to him. Yeah. He, he's yeah. One, of, one of my compadres in there. Not many of us out here, but yeah. Ross is a solid, a solid member. So shout out to him. Black love <laughs> is real, man. <laughs> All right, guys, thank you for rocking with us. We'll see you next week. Peace. Peace. My graduates from my school being Forbes. Backdrop. Backdrop. <laughs> a mic drop. Backdrop. Backdrop. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.